0: Hey everybody uh, I'm Jordan Good to meet you if, I, if you're new or if I haven't met you yet um, I want to start a little bit different this morning so pull out your phone or a piece of paper I want you to write something down for me So I want you to write down the name of a person that you admire or respect now I'm going to give you a couple qualifiers on this okay uh, Ideally it would be somebody from this church now if you're new and don't know anybody from this church that's fine but Ideally, somebody from this church and somebody who is a believer, who is a a Christian, okay? So write down the name of somebody, ideally from this church, who is a believer that you admire or respect. Go ahead and do that right now. And for you guys that are overthinking this, don't stress out too much. It doesn't have to be the single person you admire the most in the world, just someone that you admire, okay? A couple more seconds. Okay, now with that name, I want you to write down two characteristics of that person that make you admire or respect them. Two characteristics of that person that make you admire or respect them, All right, so we're going to come back to that. You can, you can put that down for a second. But today in Philippians, we're talking about people that are worthy of respect, that are, be, that are to be examples to us about how to live life and follow Jesus. Uh, and I want to just actually read the whole text that we have this morning to you. And I would love it uh, if you would pull out your Bibles. This one isn't going to be on the screen, okay? That's intentional because I would love it if you would follow along with this. I think there's benefit to having your Bible open as we teach the Word, so you can kind of check what we're saying along with the text. So Philippians two, nineteen through 30. I'm just going to read this here. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need." to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, so here, here's kind of the summary of what's going on is Paul is in uh, almost certainly Rome in prison or, or more likely house arrest. And he's there with Timothy, who is Paul's bro. Like, Timothy and Paul go way back They've lived life together, and he's also there with this guy Epaphroditus, who we don't know a lot about, but we know a little bit about him from this text. And Epaphroditus is originally from Philippi, and what had happened is the Philippians had raised money to support Paul in his ministry. They wanted to encourage him while he was in Rome, and they had to get Paul this money somehow uh, from Philippi to Rome. And so they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, with this offering to Paul. And so now all of them are in Rome. And Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. And the plan is to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi to deliver this letter that we here are reading. Okay. And so Paul is essentially telling the Philippians the kind of the travel plans. Like, hey, I'm, I'm sending you Epaphroditus. This is what happened with him. He got sick along the way, but don't worry. He's, he's good. I know you guys were worried about him, but he's doing okay. Here he is to prove it. And I'm going to send you Timothy as well. So that's kind of what's going on. And I'm not going to lie. The first time I read this, trying to plan this sermon, I was not sure what we we're going to do here. Uh, because this reads like some ancient travel plans because it's some ancient travel plans. Um, so when we're reading these books, like they really are just, th- this was a letter, this is an ancient letter, and Paul really is just kind of saying, hey, this is the plan. Um, but as I studied it more, and I don't know if I would have on my own, honestly, I was a little like discouraged at first, but as I studied it more, because I was sort of forced to, uh, this gold came out of it. and And I found this. I think, genius of what's happening in this letter. And guys, that's what happens when you study the Word of God. So I just want to encourage you, the Word of God, when you give your life to it, it comes alive. And it transforms your life in ways that you never would have expected, sometimes in particular with texts that you don't initially like or fully understand the value or the weight of. And so give your life to studying this Word, and it will change you. It's It's supernatural. It transforms you as you dig into it. Give your life to that. And and here's the genius that I think I started to see in this is, yes, it is ancient travel plans, but it's also something else. It's Paul giving us an example of the teaching that he just unpacked theoretically for us. He's putting it into practice by giving us examples of what that would look like if it was lived out. In other words, he's giving us a look at the gospel embodied in the lives of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so Paul here is being immensely practical. We've had this incredible teaching about selflessness and giving up yourself to benefit other people and how Jesus did that for you. That's what we've been unpacking for the last several weeks. And now he's gonna give us an example of what that looks like in real life. And, And he's saying, imitate these Men. It's, it's like, why do you read biographies to learn about someone's life, but not to just know random facts about them to become like them? And Paul is saying, do that with these men. And as I studied it, I think the thing that impacted me most was not only the example of, of uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus specifically, but in general of this ancient community between those two men and Paul and the Philippians and the way that they loved, served, respected each other. And to me, it was this image of what the church was meant to be and can be. And that I've seen little glimpses of that in our community, but I also think, that we have room to grow into this example. It's this beautiful picture of people who had given up their lives for this one mission to serve towards this mission together. And so I want to I look at the examples this morning of these two men, but specifically talk about um, th- how, how this community, this ancient community, these Christians related to one another and how we can start to be like that as a church. And so I want to just make some observations of what they were like. They were selfless. They had love and affection towards one another. They had a commitment to mission and they honored one another. And so we'll kind of go down that list. And so, so first we'll look at the life of Timothy and, and what he's specifically noted for selflessness. That's in verse 19 and 20. Then we'll look at the life of Epaphroditus. We'll spend most of the time there focusing on his love and affection for the Philippians. That's verses 25 and 26 and the mission that he gave his life towards 27. And then finally we'll end on the one command in this text which is to honor people like that and hopefully just apply that a little bit. So let's start with the life of Timothy in verse 19 specifically talking about selflessness. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I t- too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will, genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells the Philippians that he's about to send his disciple, his, he calls him his son, his son in the faith Timothy to them. And he gives two reasons why he'll send Timothy to them. The first one you can see in verse 19 where he says, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. In other words, Paul is wondering how the Philippians are doing and he wants to be cheered up by hearing about their progress in the faith. And so the plan is to send Timothy to the Philippians to hang out for a while, see how they're doing, and then to report back to Paul. Do any of you support missionaries and get missionary updates? How often do you read those? Maybe you do. Uh, I, especially if they're in email format, there's just like no chance. Okay, this is how committed Paul is to finding out how the Philippians are doing is he's going to send his son in the faith away from him on a long journey, which we'll talk about in a minute, just to go check in with the Philippians and then to come back and report how they're doing. That's how invested he is in that community. That's amazing. The second reason Paul... Gives, I think, is also amazing because Timothy is the best person that he has. And that's why Paul wants to send him. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So we'll unpack that. But I just want you to see that Paul's logic is not, hey, who's the guy that I could kind of deal with in my own ministry? Let's send him. His logic is, who is the best possible person that we have? I want to give up that person for the benefit of this church. And he says that Timothy will look out for those, the interest of the Philippians, unlike anyone else. Which is <laughs> just, just kind of like a shot to everybody else that is with Paul. Like, what, what happened when Titus read this letter I was like, what? Anyway, uh, I just... Paul is very blunt. I just found that amusing. Um, But this is what he's doing here. Notice in verse 21, he says, uh, For they all, these other people besides Timothy, seek their own interests, and you would expect him to say, not your interests. But what does he say? They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see what he's doing? He's comparing and contrasting, seeking your own interests, with following Jesus. He's saying the way of Jesus is to consider others' interests as more important than your own, which is what he just taught us at the beginning of Philippians 2. He's saying you either can have your own interests in life or you can have Jesus. But those two are mutually exclusive. Because this is what Jesus was like. He lived for the benefit of other people. He systematically denied what he wanted in his life so that he could free up space to benefit everyone else besides himself. And then he looks at you and he says, follow me. Follow me. Imitate me. Be like me. Live the way that I lived. Yes, Jesus died in your place as a representation and to credit righteousness, goodness to you, but he lived so that you could see what it would be like to live rightly. And he systematically denied his own interest to benefit other people. This isn't a tweak in your life. This isn't just kind of add this in this week. It's an entirely different way of thinking about the world and thinking about living. At work, you're thankful if you get a promotion, but you really wish that somebody else would have gotten it. At home, you're not trying to just split 50-50 with roommates or spouses on like one person cooks, the other does the dishes, because that makes the most sense. You're trying to cook, do the dishes, and clean everything up. With your friends, you're trying to pick up every bill every time you go out. You're, You're trying to give more in that relationship than you take. That's the Christian life. As I was writing this this message, um, I, I checked in with, with my wife, Jess and, and kind of, "Hey, how are things going today?" And I, I got a, a text back that was one of those like parenting texts that you guys know about if you've been parents, but we have um, a newborn, and let's just say things were go- weren't going super well that day. Uh, my child had become a <laughs> fountain um, and We'll just leave it at that. I won't be too much of a parent, but we'll just leave it at that. And my other child was being a two-year-old. And it was a really hard day. And she was talking about what it was like to try to help both of these kids. And I just sat there thinking about how parenting is the perfect training for this selflessness that this text is talking about. And we tend to see the selflessness, I tend to see the selflessness that parenting requires as a barrier to the life that I want to live, but it's actually an entry point to the life that I should want to live, because selflessness is the good life. And I was just reflecting on, as I'm sitting there with my coffee, writing my sermon, doing ministry, that when most people would look at the two of us, as she was chasing our kids around our house and I was like doing ministry, they would see me as doing ministry in that moment. But really, she more than me was reflecting the image of Jesus through just giving her life for the benefit of someone else. That's the character of Christ. That's the gospel embodied. That's an example to follow. Those those very ordinary moments of life that seem not like the dream of Christianity often are actually what the gospel embodied look like. that That's Christianity right there. That stuff that you're doing where you're giving yourself for the benefit of someone else, that is Christianity. It counts. It matters. It's the character of Jesus. He sees it. He delights in it. But that often feels impossible to have that perspective or to live like that. And so how was it that Timothy embodied that selflessness? How is it that God expects us to embody that selflessness? Well, we have to become united with the God who is himself selfless. Look back at verses 4 through 7. That's the hinge point in chapter 2. That's the hinge point of this whole chapter, and I think maybe the whole book of Philippians, where it's saying that Jesus himself lowered himself to serve and benefit you. He doesn't ask you to do something that he doesn't first do. He lowers himself to benefit you, and he is the first human being to ever do that on any consistent level, Since the fall, human beings, we have had something deeply wrong with us, and we've been trying to use other people to fill that hole in us. We're treating other people like juice boxes that we just suck everything out of them, kind of smash it and throw it away. That's how we relate to other people. But Jesus was full and willingly gave himself for us and didn't take anything from us. He broke that cycle of selfishness that is run throughout all of humanity and started this new line of human beings that can give instead of take because he first gave instead of taking. There's something that Drew said a while back that I think about all the time, that God never says thank you, he only says you're welcome. And that almost can feel odd or frustrating or like, why won't he tell me thank you? But sit back and think about how amazing that is to have this relationship where he gives you everything that you need and he doesn't expect something back from you. Now, yes, he wants you to follow him and obey him, but that's out of the overflow of his generosity towards you first. It's a disproportionate relationship. It's a one-sided relationship. Have you ever had relationships like that? Like I, I think of, uh, so Jeff Dodge is, is another pastor in our, our network of churches that has played a big uh, role in my life. He's got kids that are about my age and so I call him Papa Dodge and I just, I just look up to him. He's actually, I think the plan is for him to come this fall. I, I think that's gonna happen. I just realized I may be confirming something that may or may not be happening but I think he's gonna be coming up to do like a summit for us. Anyway, I'm off, I'm off track. So Jeff Dodge, um, is this man that I just look up to and respect. And I, I remember some of the first times that I interacted with him uh, that w- when you talk to Jeff Dodge, it's like everything you say is somehow like valuable and he makes you feel amazing for saying it. And so I thought I was contributing to the conversation. And then as I got older and learned more about life and I learned more about Jesus, I realized that... Not only has he already thought everything that I've ever said to him, but has probably read six books on it, and there was nothing novel about it, and I was not contributing anything to this relationship. But he wanted to be with me, just because that was the nature of his character. That was an awesome relationship for me. I think of, I I recently got to, to play golf with a friend of mine at this super fancy private golf club that I never would have been able to get on unless I knew him. And so we roll in. There's this big sign that says members only, and I'm not a member, but I just drive past it because I know him. And I drive in and roll into this clubhouse where you have to be a gentleman and you have to take off your hat and all this stuff. And felt really out of place. Um, And I'm hitting these golf balls on the range that are more expensive than any ball that I've ever bought for myself. And we play this, like, beautiful round of golf with caddies and then You know, lunch, he just kind of waves his hand, it's like, put it on my account, on me, drinks afterwards, on him, takes us through the clubhouse afterwards, get whatever you want, put it on the account. And so after all this, I'm like, okay, I am contributing to some degree today, at some point. So I'm like, I'm gonna tip the caddies. Okay, so I'm gonna beat him to this. But I have no idea what percentage to tip a caddy. That's not a normal thing I do in my life. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna beat him to it. I'm like, hey man, I, I got this, Like, I'm going to take care of the caddies, can you just tell me like what percentage should I tip or whatever? And he just kind of smirks at me. And he's like, man, I tipped the caddies a long time ago. Like, Kind of like, nice try. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. You just walk around with Jesus, and he just kind of flips his hand like that and gives you everything you need and everything you want in him. It's on him. And he just shows you around some of the most amazing things that you've ever seen and for eternity he will serve you and show you around his creation and he'll just kind of wave his hand and you'll have everything you've ever wanted or needed in him. And and our temptation is like, hey, I'm going to contribute to this a little bit, right? And he just smiles at you like my friend smiled at me like, yeah, that that's cute, like good try. Uh, you don't you can't contribute anything here. I've I've got it. I've got all of this. I just want you to be with me and enjoy it. That's what the kingdom of Jesus is like, and that's why Timothy was able to live a selfless life. Is because Jesus had first filled him up so then he could give to other people. But if you're if you're tempted to think That maybe that's the exception. That's just like the heroes of the faith. I want to look at the life of Epaphroditus because he was just a normal guy from Philippi. And and here's what Epaphroditus demonstrated is love and affection for the church. Verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So here's what's happening is that Epaphroditus got sick on his journey to Philippi. The Philippians heard that he was sick and were nervous about him. So now Epaphroditus is nervous that they're nervous about him and Paul is nervous that the Philippians are nervous about Epaphroditus and so he's going to send Epaphroditus to the Philippians so that they're not nervous anymore. Okay, a little bit more simply, the, the sick person is worried about the healthy people because that's how much he loves them and he doesn't want them to be anxious for him. Have you ever had that feeling when you've lost track of time and all of a sudden you look at your phone and you've got three missed calls from your spouse or something like that? This happens to me on a regular basis. <laughs> and you have that kind of panic inside of you. And it's, it's a little bit like, uh-oh, like I'm in trouble. But it's, it's mostly like, I know Jessamy has been worried about me. And I want to relieve that anxiety. And I call her like, look, I'm, I'm okay. I just lost track of time. I'm sorry. Nothing happened, right? It, it's, that's what's happening here. And it says that Epaphroditus is distressed because they heard that he was ill. Distressed. That word is used two other times, only two other times in the New Testament. Both times it's used to describe what Jesus was feeling in the garden before he went to the cross. That's the depth of his concern for the Philippians. And so I want you to notice two things, the intensity of his love and who his love is going towards. So quickly, the intensity of his love. That type of love is uniquely Christian and it demonstrates the character of God. I actually came to Christ largely because I saw that type of love on display. So when I was in in high school, my dad was, was sick and when he was in the hospital, he was like so nervous about how me and my sister and my mom were doing that as soon as we walked in, before we could ask him about how he was doing, he was like, "How are you guys? Anything I can do?" F-? What? Like what? No, Th- this is supposed to be the other way around. But that's just what he was like. As nurses would come into his room, he knew about their families and would ask him how their families are doing and how they're doing handling his sickness. And I it, and I, I watched that love and went. That is something that I don't have and am currently incapable of. And that's what I knew that Jesus was alive because I saw him living through my dad in that type of love. So that's the intensity of the love. But I also want you to notice who the love was for. Epaphroditus, when he's this anxious about them, this loving towards them, it's not just for like his immediate family or his spouse, or something like that. It's for the entire church at Philippi. He had that type of relationship with his church family. So when I get those three missed calls from Jessamy, I feel the anxiety. When I get three missed calls from somebody else, I don't feel anxious. It's just like, maybe just stop calling me. <laughs> I don't really feel that, but sometimes I do a little bit. But But why? What's the difference? Honestly, I just have more relationship with her, so I feel the unique weight of that. But I'm challenged by this love because he here is saying that he had that type of love for that entire church. Why? Because he saw his church as his family and he had committed his life to that group of people and they to him. Do you understand that you don't go to church? It's not an event. It's not a place. It's a group of people that you give your life to and that they give their life to you. They become your chosen adopted family. That's what this thing is that we're doing and it's that type of relationship. We should emulate this type of relationship that Epaphroditus had. We've been talking about this adoption item and have been saying um, that even if uh, you aren't planning on adopting, you should consider coming to support those who are. My guess is most of you never really thought twice about that. Why? Because those people aren't your family. You don't see them as your family. You don't see yourself as playing that role or having that type of relationship. But that's what the church is. That's the example that is being set here. And when you commit to a community like that, with that depth, not only will it lead you to love and affection for people, but it will lead you to mission. Verse 26 For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So to understand this, we've got to, I just got to explain the geography here. So Epaphroditus is traveling to Rome. He gets sick along the way. Rome was around 800 miles from Philippi. So Epaphroditus was walking 700 miles and then 80 to 90 miles by boat. So this is a life-altering journey that he willingly accepts because he wants to serve Paul and get him the money that he needs for his ministry. Along the way, he gets so sick that he almost dies. And instead of going back to Philippi to die with his friends and family, he decides to continue on to Rome for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing in Rome. He literally thought he was giving his life to bring some money to Paul. And he didn't second guess it. It was worth it to him to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you have a compelling vision that you give all of yourself to, what it costs you does not matter because of what you gain in that mission, in that vision for your life. And we all understand that. I think all of us have experienced that at times of giving ourselves to that degree to academics, to work, to money, to family, to lifestyle, where it doesn't matter what it costs you because of the end goal. But do you know what it's like to experience that for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very mission for which you were born and saved to live for? I heard on a podcast recently that what most people lack is not as much self-control, but they lack a vision. Because when you see a vision that's compelling enough, self-control naturally follows so that you can experience the end of that mission. Epaphroditus had his role to play in the mission. He had to get that money to Paul. What is your role? Do you know what it is? We all have it. It's not for some of us. It's for every believer in Jesus Christ participates in the kingdom of Jesus moving forward. Do you know what it is and are you giving your life to it? Lastly, the command in the text is not only to emulate people like this, to follow their example, but to honor people like that. That's verse 29. He says, honor such men. They happen to be men in that text, but honor honor people like this. And I think that's fairly self-explanatory. So instead of talking about it, I just want to do it briefly. Uh, So we already did this a little bit, but I I couldn't miss that chance to just jump in and honor Hannah Thompson. Thank you so much for constantly believing in the vision of this church and giving your life to it for four years. Um, I want to honor Jordan Brooks, who faithfully serves as a connection group leader who serves on tech team who disciples people behind the scenes. A, a lot of you might not even know who Jordan is, but this church is being transformed because of him giving his life for this church behind the scenes. And in fact, I just let's the whole tech team. Like guys, when you walk in, you see mostly the same people every week that are just back there serving and aren't noticed. I want to honor you. Dave Hunting, thank you for giving your time, your money, your energy, your love to this church. Thank you for serving as just an awesome connection group leader and showing us all what a connection group should be like. Um, Travis Manderfield, it's amazing how many people I meet that when I ask them their story about how they met Jesus, they talk about you. Tony Lee, Thank you for sticking it out through an incredibly hard year, in particular as a minority man, and standing firm in the gospel, and just caring relentlessly for hurting, broken people. Greta Norris, thanks for just walking with hurting people over this last year. Just behind the scenes, loving Jesus, and walking with people as they processed what was going on in their lives. Beth Orlowski. Thank you for praying for our church, being a prayer warrior. Thank you for teaching us about joy in the middle of anything. I've learned so much about what it means to follow Jesus from your example. Lydia and Nate, I'm not going to attempt to say your last name. I've learned better than that. It's a, it's a tough one. I've known you for a while. I still can't figure it out. But <laughs> thanks for serving uh, the international students in our church. Thanks. Thank you for giving your life to go overseas to tell people about Jesus. Thank you for having a dream for the kingdom of God, seeing a vision of the mission and just saying, yeah, I'll go. Allison Brown and your entire connection group that made us food and gave us a gift card and for some reason are coming over to help us with stuff on our house I just don't understand why you're doing all of that. But then I read this text. I'm like, oh, that's what Christians do. Okay, you're Christians. Now it makes sense. But thank you. Thank you for just relentless generosity. And of course, there's so many more people that, that I could honor. But um, thank you for being the church. Let's keep being the church. Do you see how amazing this example is? So many of us want honor and we want people to love us and respect us and so we try to gain it and we try and create it. Look at the genius example that Jesus lays out here. Don't try and grab honor for yourself. Lower yourself. And if everyone does that, then everyone will be raised up and we will mutually serve, love and honor one another and no one will be left out from that. That's what the community of Jesus can be. Yes, imperfectly but I think more than most of us dare to dream in him by his spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of these men, Epaphroditus and Timothy. Thank you for the lives they lived. We want to be like them. Help us to grow in our love and affection for one another. God, as you continue to be kind to us and we grow in numbers as a church, would we not stop uh, just being in each other's lives and, and having relationship with one another. And um, Yeah, God, would you give us boldness for your mission? Would you um, help us to be selfless people? We acknowledge we can't do any of that on our own. We need you. And so God, we look to you, the example and the power behind any attempt at selflessness and we, we ask you to help us be more like you, Jesus. We want to be like you. Help us. Amen.